What is up and welcome back to Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers. As always, I am your host, Brandon Silvers. This is a special midweek mini episode. Had some stuff I wanted to get off my mind and didn't want to wait until Monday, even though there will be an episode dropping Monday. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so we all saw the footage from last Friday from the Bulls Ring of Honor ceremony where their former GM, Jerry Krause, was one of the honorees, and he was booed when his picture was shown on the Jumbotron. Jerry himself didn't see it because he's been dead since 2017, so things got even more awkward when his picture went away, revealing his widow, Thelma, was in the building to accept what was supposed to be an honor on his behalf. As you can imagine, Thelma became visibly upset at everyone booing her dead husband and had to be comforted by Ron Harper. And as someone who has held their fair share of silly long-term grudges for no reason, even I found this to be distasteful. And it got me thinking about whether or not Krauss even deserved to be booed in the first place, particularly by Bulls fans, because when you really think about it, how can you love Michael Jordan and not love Jerry Krause? Krause hate is well documented and it goes back a long way. I remember reading Sam Smith's The Jordan Rules, which is famous or infamous, depending on who you ask, I guess, for peeling back the layers on Michael Jordan's public image to reveal less than desirable personality traits that ultimately showed that this mythical figure was actually human. Jerry Krause was talked about in that book as well in less than flattering terms. It paints a very vivid picture of Krause as a man who had spent his lifetime being socially awkward, short, fat, egotistical, paranoid, and slovenly earning the nickname Crumbs because you could always find some on his shirt. This is simply not a man many of us would find likable, and a significant portion of the book explained that nobody, players, coaches, fans, liked him at all, and it came out in 1991. If time heals all wounds, then this one was reopened when The Last Dance came out in 2020, and it detailed how Krauss was the reason that the Bulls dynasty came to an end after winning it all for the sixth time in 1998. Again, Krauss was dead by the time this came out, and dead men can do little to nothing to defend themselves, so making him the scapegoat was easy, and for those who lived through Krauss's reign, believable. He was an easy man to hate. And he was made even easier to hate because Michael Jordan hated him. The Last Dance was Jordan's docuseries, and he had creative control. It was also Jordan who bestowed the nickname Crumbs on Krauss, and the Jordan rules was filled with stories of MJ coming up with different ways to ridicule him. So people hate Krauss because they love Jordan. I mean, my enemy's enemy is my friend, but my idol's enemy is definitely my enemy. But when you really take a look at what we know about Jerry Krauss, the man and the general manager, how can you love Jordan and not love Krauss? For starters, Krauss was an incredible GM who surrounded MJ with talent on and off the court. Jordan himself knew how important this was from his early years before all those pieces were assembled. Look at the teams that were winning championships during that time. The Showtime Lakers with Magic Kareem and Worthy, the Bird McHale Parish Celtics, the Isaiah Lambeer, Dumars, Bad Boys, Pistons. These teams were stacked with stars and great role players, and that's why they won even after Jordan submitted himself as the league's best individual player. Of all the changes the league and the game have gone through, this is one of the few things that has remained the same. Having the greatest player of all time is a hell of a piece to start with, don't get me wrong, but Krauss was able to surround him with everything he needed to overtake the teams I just mentioned and climb to the top of the league and stay there. He hired Phil Jackson, found Scottie Pippen, traded for Bill Cartwright, put together all these pieces for MJ and the Bulls' first three-peat, a three-peat that put MJ at the time at the top of the more reasonable greatest player ever conversations that were had back then. 
He put together a team so good that after Jordan retired to go play baseball, they still won 55 games. Then, when Jordan returned at the end of the 94-95 season and the Bulls lost to the Magic in the playoffs, Krause reloaded by trading for Dennis Rodman, which kicked off another three-peat, including the first 70-win season in NBA history. Michael Jordan was going to be Michael Jordan no matter what. He was going to end his career as the most accomplished player ever in terms of individual accolades. But the team success, the rings, that's what took his legacy to the next level, and you don't get that without Krause. The same legacy that Krause inadvertently preserved by blowing up the dynasty after that 1998 season. All dynasties end, and they never end well. Look back at those teams we just talked about. The last image of those Celtics is a pitiful series against the Pistons that saw Bird shoot just 35% from the field. For those bad boy Pistons, it's them leaving the court before the game was even over near the end of a sweep against these Bulls. The Showtime Lakers had possibly the worst ending of all, losing in five games to give these Bulls and Jordan their first NBA title, and then months later having a press conference where Magic announced he was retiring immediately due to having contracted HIV. These are dynasties we still talk about, but not quite in the same way we talk about those Bulls because those Bulls got a storybook ending with Mike hitting the championship winning shot to cap off that dynasty and his time with the franchise. That shot helped those Bulls remain undefeated in six finals appearances. Think about the role that plays when we talk about not only that team, but Jordan himself. Do we still talk about either in quite the same way if they got the ending that every other dynasty got? We talk about them winning it again in 1999 simply because we never saw them lose when Jordan played a full season, but no team has won four straight titles since the NBA-ABA merger, and the safe bet was that these Bulls wouldn't have either. Remember, one of the main plot points in The Last Dance was just how hard it was to win it all in 1998. Pippen missed the beginning of the season recovering from surgery, a surgery he'd put off to be petty, but one he needed due to injury. Those deep playoff runs were taking their toll. He finished that season in those finals being little more than a decoy due to back spasms. The last dance shows how exhausting it was for Jordan to carry the load without him. Did he have another full season and deep playoff run in him the next year, or would his body have continued to break down? Would Dennis Rodman have been able to hold it together mentally another year? He played for the Lakers that next season. Remember how that went? And then there's MJ himself. The grind had worn him down. He would have been 36 when the 1999 playoffs came around, back when 36 years old was old for an NBA player. How much more did he have left in the tank? On top of that, in the 98 offseason, he sustained an injury to his right index finger in true Jordan fashion by slicing the tendon with a cigar cutter. It required two surgeries to fix, and it affected his ability to grip the ball. He claims it didn't play a role in his decision to retire, but who knows how he would have looked out there that next season. And who knows how the rest of the team would have looked. That was that lockout shortened season, so maybe the fewer games would have helped Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman be fresher, but what about the rest of the team? There are plenty of examples from that season of guys showing up incredibly out of shape from not working out because they didn't think there'd be a season at all. Shout out to Sean Kemp. Who's to say that wouldn't have happened to those Bulls? The odds were stacked against them. What does a loss to the Knicks or Pacers or even the Spurs in the finals do to their story, to their air of invincibility, to Jordan's legacy? Krause protected that all by blowing it up. But the main reason people who love Michael Jordan should love Jerry Krause is because at their core, they are one and the same. 
They certainly have glaring superficial differences in appearance and perception. Mike was everything Kraus wasn't. Tall, athletic, cool. Kind of like me. But these were two men driven by ego who were willing to do whatever it took to win, even if it meant being an asshole, and they were assholes who won a lot. Can you imagine Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan and winning all he won and accomplishing all that he did if he was this warm and fuzzy guy who was yearning to be loved? Of course not, that's ridiculous. A huge part of his mystique is his killer instinct, how cutthroat he was. Let's put Krause through that same test. If he cared about being loved, does he hire that hippie coaching in Puerto Rico? Does he fire a coach, Doug Collins, who was well-liked in Chicago, who had just led the team to their first conference finals in 15 years to promote that hippie? And the reason he made that move and promoted Phil was because Phil was willing to implement an offense Kraus believed in, one that took the ball out of the hands of the greatest offensive weapon the league had seen since Wilt Chamberlain. Does a more teddy bear version of Kraus make the move for Pippen or have the nerve to trade Jordan's best friend, Charles Oakley, for Bill Cartwright, who played a huge role in that first three-peat? Imagine a general manager in a world where the Lakers mortgage their future by trading for an over-the-hill Russell Westbrook because LeBron wants to, telling their star, a star the magnitude of Michael Jordan, hey, your best friend is gone so that we can win more games. Go look at Thanasis Antetokounmpo's name on the Bucks roster and tell me who, if anybody, could pull that off today. Would a more diplomatic GM have been able to pay unproven European star Tony Kukoc more than the second best player on his championship team to lure him over or trade for Dennis Rodman when Rodman was at the height of his franchise-killing pariah behavior? Or, again, blow up that Bulls dynasty when he did, unintentionally preserving its place in history and the legacy of its star? My favorite part of The Last Dance is when they're addressing Jordan's own asshole behavior and Jordan gets emotional talking about it, specifically how he thinks he will be perceived when people see the extent of it. He says, quote, when people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Well, that's you because you never won anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. When you hear that, is this not a quote that would apply to Krause's reign as general manager too? These are two men who were ruthless in the heat of battle, in the pursuit of success. This ruthlessness was both a feature and a bug, intertwined with their success in the same way their successes were intertwined. You can't have one without the other, and for that reason, you can't cheer Jordan and boo Jerry Krause. All right, that'll do it for this midweek mini. Appreciate you watching, listening, rating, subscribing, reviewing, and sharing. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and I will see you Monday.